The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love Hi and welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast. This is a weekly show dedicated to all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. As always, I'm your host, Macca19, and joining me as co-host is Fishing Rico4. How are you, buddy? Yeah, very good, Macca. Very good. What about you? Yeah, not too bad. A little bit down. Two losses on the weekend, so it could be better, yeah, I guess. That's, that's a bit sad, I know. And uh, I just wanted to bring up at this point in time as well that I don't have the chair with me tonight. I'm in a different location. Oh, um, so I thought, to keep you honest, seeing I don't have the chair to rock, I brought out my pet pig, Tango. <laughs> so, if you start waffling or telling lies, Tango's coming out. All That's right? brilliant. That's better than the chair. This should be a weekly event. No dramas. Uh, dear God. <laughs> next week, I've got a squeal... Next week, I've got a squealing camel, and they'll be coming out. Fantastic. <laughs> Oh, I love it. And as you can hear from the laughter in the background, for her first appearance on the podcast for 2014, we are speaking with Portia. Hi, how's it going? Very good. Welcome Thank back. You. Thank you. I'm completely flawed now. I'll have to start my brain over again. That's, that's ruined me. <laughs> <laughs> there's always been a couple of pigs on the podcast, but now there's a real one. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, wow. let's get straight into it. And uh, and do our love and hate for the week, which is one thing we loved and one thing we hated in and around the Port Adelaide Footy Club this week. Rick, I might start with you, mate. What was your love and hate? All right. My love this week is a, a little bit different. I'm going with the fact that I love what we can learn through a loss and defeat. And, uh, you know, we were all getting very excited where we were going and are going as a footy club. And I think the loss this week... Not that we needed to have it. Um, highlighted that, you know, even though it smells like roses, there's still some deficiencies in our footy side and we need to keep working and getting better. Fantastic. Got to agree with that. And my hate for the week um, is Matt Loby. Uh, I think hmm. he's very, very unlucky that an umpire can run backwards into a ruck contest while the ruckmen are running forward to tap the ball, and he gets fined for that. That's just outrageous, stupid, and ludicrous by the match review panel. Also agree with that. What a stupid decision. That was all the umpire's fault. It's not like, uh, you know, the the two ruckmen are looking in the air at the ball. You know, if you're worried about getting hit, then run the other way. Yeah. Why run straight into the into the players. It's the most stupid thing I've seen and I don't understand. I mean, the rule of protecting umpires is a good rule and I understand it. And uh, But when umpires run into stupid spots, they're, they're taking liability for their actions as far as I'm concerned and, and the players shouldn't be accountable for that. Yeah, yeah look, I totally agree. Um, I guess my main concern would be uh, if that what Matty Lobby did is wrong, then what should he have done instead? I mean, you can hardly sort of go up to the umpire and say, oh, by the way, mate, you're facing the wrong way, or just sort of uh, have a chat to the umpire after the event because they're not going to change what they did. Um, I really don't know what else he could have done. 
honestly, apart from just sort of stand back and uh, just watch the contest happen and maybe go get a beer or something. I've no idea. Well, he was basically pushed into it. Pretty much. All right. Well, Portia, what's your love and hate for this week? Okay. Well, look, my love is going to be a bit of a strange one, and uh, I suppose people wouldn't expect it to come from me, but I love that we only lost by that much. Um, I think that that game, we were completely had our structure torn apart, our game plan torn apart, and Tony lose by that small amount against the side that we have a traditionally terrible reputation against. I'm absolutely astounded that we didn't lose by 10 goals or more. Um, Really, I just... I think that the guys did, uh, they had not much going for them, but uh, it's a North Melbourne thing, and I'll talk about it later in the, in the podcast, but um, they, that's what they do, they distract sides, but the fact is they distracted us, but we didn't let them score all that much either, so, you know, I think that's an upside. Um, my hate for the week, and it's going to sound like scapegoating, but it's really not, because it's, um, uh, it's just playing on my mind, and it is this thought. Uh, John Butcher is the key as the key position forward equivalent of Adam Thompson. Uh, now I'll explain what I mean by that. I remember when Adam Thompson was playing, everyone and I was included in this would say, "Oh, Adam Thompson! Look, he's got such great potential. You know, he's so good at these little things. He's so good in the clearance." But the reality of the situation was he wasn't good at all the other things that actually really matter for a full game player. And I'm beginning to feel that John Butcher's falling in that same boat. He does a lot of little things really brilliantly. But at the end of the day, he's not a full AFL player if those are the only things he's doing. And I just feel like we're at that point where I'd either like to see him dropped or see some sort of magical revelation from above because I don't think that's coming. And uh, it's what's probably got me started on the key position forwards on the forum again this week. I just I don't know where we go with Butch and I don't know where we go as a team. I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. No, I think I agree with that as well. He, he seems to do all the sort of incidentals really well, like he, his chasing and... And groundwork's not too bad and, and all that other stuff, but you just want to see him clunk a few grabs and mm. lead strongly and take a mark and actually kick a goal instead of sort of running underneath the ball and, and then sort of running onto it, dropping back. And, you know, it, he sort of plays the game like a small forward mm. at the moment. Mm. And uh, I'm not sure it's all that great. But, uh, look, hopefully he can improve. Yeah, well, I mean, Josh Fraser was uh, reputed to have played the game like a small forward, but he could still mark and kick, so I'm still not sure about that. Mm. Yeah, there's not enough influence there, that's for sure. And uh, yeah, someone brought up today that he's only played 23 games, and and that's fair oh, yeah. enough. But but even for 23 games, for for his draft pick and the skill set that he was supposed to have, he should still be able to put himself uh, in the right positions to get the ball. He might not be able to execute, uh, execute properly, um, you know, because of his strength or whatever. But, you know, he should still be able to be in the right spot more often than what he is as far as I'm concerned. I don't yep. think he was ever really noted for his skills as a junior. I think he was just a huge amount of huge ball of potential and enthusiasm. I think that's most of why we went for him. Um, he has a huge, He has really great potential, but um, he's still got to put it all together. And I suppose that's where development comes in. So this is where we find out whether our development guys are any good, I guess. Mm. Absolutely. Well, my love for this week is Ollie Wine's start to the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's definitely no second-year blues here. Um, he looks to have gone up another level uh, with the increased time on ground that he's had. There's no doubting that he's a star in the making. I don't think he's going to be someone that's going to stagnate early in his career and, and do a sort of a, a Brock McLean and, mm. and sort of taper away after a few years. I think he's going to be an absolute star. Not only is he an inside mask, but he's also impacting the scoreboard now on a weekly basis, which is fantastic to see. Mm. Yeah, Massive definitely. seven tackles. 
on the weekend as, in, to go with his possessions. So, you know, his defensive aspect was uh, fantastic once again. That's uh, it. It's just a dream that we've got him, really. Um, mm. He's the first time in AFL, anyway, that I feel like we've picked up a midfielder that's sort of the equivalent of Warren Treadray to some extent. <laughs> yep. You know, mm. he's got a lot to learn. He's still got a lot of development to do, but what you see everything now so far, it's all good, and the deficiencies seem kind of small and workable. You know, he's just going to be a complete mm. player, I think. It's be fantastic. Are we lucky that, are we lucky that uh, Viney was in the draft that year? <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. And uh, that Tumfus went to Melbourne. I, I feel sorry for that guy, but he's sort of like the sacrificial lamb for us, I guess. Mm. <laughs> Took the hit so Port yeah. could succeed. Yeah, <laughs> Good on him. Mm. Team and my hate is uh, our midfield setups in the last quarter. They were just wrong. Just wrong, mm. wrong, wrong. You know, we just allowed too much easy run. Over the back, um, too many easy entries into their forward 50. I know we were tired, but um, it just wasn't good enough. And in the end, that really sort of cost us the game, I thought. Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think that the midfield setups weren't just a problem in the last quarter, though. I think they're really a problem all game. And um, I guess a large part of that is that um, it's something I think we've commented on in the past, but we don't really have any set plays in midfield at all, you know. We go back to when we had Leyden Berg on, and you knew what was pretty much going to happen every second contest. But these days, I mean, I've got no idea how we intend to extract the ball as a pattern. Can you identify one? I think we just go for it and see what we can do. But yeah. I think yeah. that's the issue we have. We don't have any real system. Well, look, let's go on to our review now. Of course, we played North Melbourne at Etihad Stadium yesterday. North Melbourne won by seven points. They won 14 goals, 13 to 13 goals, 12. Our multiple goal kickers were Schultz with three and also uh, Hamish Harlett and Angus Monfries with two each. I guess the question is, where did it go wrong? Uh, <laughs> well, I think where, where it went wrong... wrong. I think where it went wrong is that we were playing North Melbourne and um, <laughs> that's always a problem. Um, at the start of the year, one of the comments I made was that uh, we had a game plan that apparently was being executed by some of our least skilled players and that's always great. But um, I think what we really get from North Melbourne every time we play them is that we get to see what happens when a side dedicates pretty much everything to destroying how you do what you do. And I think that's why everyone hates North Melbourne because they do that to every side. Um I think really that's what we saw and I think that getting them this early in the season is actually a really good learning experience for us because now we've seen what happens, now we've seen what our weaknesses are and every player on that field knows exactly what they are. So when Ken Hinckley says, you know, this has got to work on fellas, he'll have a little bit more behind him because uh, they'll know that uh, what they were doing before, yeah, it was okay in parts, but that they need to commit more. So, look, I, I hate to say, um, use the Crows as an example, but um, it's a very probably a lesser version of what happened to them in 1997 in that they were thinking they were pretty awesome and then Port Adelaide smashed them on their home ground and this is not quite the same thing. But I think that we have been feeling pretty good about how we've been playing and how we're gelling as a team and certainly the media loves us now, which is certainly an unusual situation for the national media for us. But uh, it's probably a bit of a reality check that, um, you know, all that stuff will come, but we still need to work as a team and really pull together and uh, I suppose listen to what the coaches are saying so yeah I, I think that's what happened there North Melbourne were North Melbourne and we weren't ready but we will learn a lot from it definitely a good wake up call I think and mm. uh, certainly the calls that were a premiership threat from uh, from certain people in the media um, and you even heard them in the telecast yesterday they are so premature it's not funny oh yeah <laughs> 
Oh, we're not. Look, we're not far away. I mean, we've still got our deficiencies, but our structure's there. And But there was a, a lot of things that just um, uh, didn't go right for us yesterday. And I think we really got out-coached as well. Uh, you know, probably, I think Walsh and Hinckley probably had a bad day in the box, as you uh, brought up about the uh, structural deficiencies. They smashed us in the contest, and I'm sure you're going to have some figures for us very shortly, Macca, that you'll uh, love throwing out. But, I mean, in the preview, I mean, my, what was my warning? Um, we can't allow North Melbourne to have their transitional play and and just run openly into the forward line. And, and in the first half, I thought our defensive zones were relatively stable and we were able to hold off uh, a lot of their run. But uh, as we tied a little bit in the second half... Um, it really, we really got exposed and, you know, we just sort of were overconfident and played Russian roulette uh, football with them, didn't we? Trying to back our mids over theirs and, and we just didn't worry about trying to stop them at all. Can I just um, jump on you there, Rick? Um, you just said that we've got the structures but that we have structural deficiencies, which sort of contradicts itself. Um, no, I, we've, I'm, I'm not sure played... that we, I'm not sure that we are premiership quality with the structures we have in place because we've got some pretty huge weaknesses that are going to be exploited and just were. So, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Is allowed. that the Rick's wrong, Duck? <laughs> no, that's the one. Porsche's wrong. Rick's never oh. wrong. Ask my family. Rick's, Rick's never wrong. that again. <laughs> <laughs> no, the, um, what I'm trying to say is our, mm. our game plan... Mm-hmm. I believe is good enough to win a final or a grand final, but we've still got a few holes in our structure, e.g. players, that make us deficient uh, to probably get there just at this point in time. But our, our game plan <laughs> there is just execution. And as we saw yesterday, our execution uh, was defunct and got exposed and fell apart. Okay. Look, I think we just got sort of uh, out-bustled on the, on the ball, certainly in the contested possession uh, situations. I said before the game that whoever wins the contested possessions in this particular match will win the game. North Melbourne won 143 to 135. They killed us in the clearances by 15. Mm. Um, and they also had 12 more tackles. So they really sort of did all the tough stuff. Um, and we couldn't really go with them, especially in the second half in that area. I think that they did the tough stuff, but um, watching the game, not looking at the stats so much, um, what I really noticed was different is that they so much more often seemed to link up to players that knew where they were going, and we really struggled with that all day. Yeah. We were rushing the ball every time, looking, oh, gee, where's someone? I can't see where they would be, and then just you know having a crack wherever we could find it, whereas they were lining up. They, they were basically set players for North Melbourne, and I don't think we had too many of those on our part, uh, very few. No. Do you think we, were, we went in with a, a little bit of a... A poor attitude with this one, because it we didn't seemed like the players sort of were coasting for large periods of the match. I didn't see the defensive element in our game plan yesterday. I didn't. I didn't think we were chasing defensively and trying to pressure the ball carrier as much mm. as what we did last year and early this year as well. Uh, we seemed to be a bit off, and a few of the players seemed to be running, uh, sort of like they were running in sand. So. Uh, I posted on the forum uh, yesterday, you know, I wonder if the showdown, the heat of the showdown, temperature-wise, actually did take its toll on, on both the Adelaide sides because it was a hot day. But mm. we just seemed to be a little bit off 5%, 10% with our running ability compared to what we've got used to. 
I mean, the defensive efforts that we've seen that have been really good, they've mostly been from the defence and not so much from the midfield, I think. Um, I think that's probably where we're really sticking out. And I think it's why guys like Wines have really, you know, really stood out because they do have a bit of that uh, defensive effort. But I, I think there's a whole bunch of guys in our midfield that you still sort of think defensively, you know. I, I mean, I can't recall the last time I saw Boca Hartlett lay a really convincing tackle. Um, and nothing against them, you know, maybe that's not their role. But I, I just don't think we have those guys that are, you know, going to present every week in the midfield and, and do that. I think that that's probably where we do lack. And, um yeah, that could be a recruitment thing we go for at the end of the year. I'm not sure. But, um, is that where Andrew Moore is important yeah, for us? In, yeah, I, I think, think Andrew so. Moore. Yeah. Andrew Moore and, you know, people talk about getting someone like Levi Greenwood and just because he's a magpie, but in this case, I think it actually would be a good fit in some respects. And, you know, as Impey, I mean, he's been fantastic. Maybe he can become a defensive midfielder of some sort. We can't obviously can't rely on Corns and Cassisi to have that presence that they used to have, I guess, and I think that's what that also told us on the weekend. And I have to agree with you too, Portia. I think structurally North Melbourne um, in this game did see, especially around the ball and in the midfield stoppages, they seemed to be more uh, uh, conditioned to what they were going to do compared to what we were going to do. And there was obvious plays where they had a numerical advantage on the boundary line. Uh, We didn't go near them. Uh, the tap was going to that numerical advantage and then they were clearing and running the ball away. And uh, again, going back to that same point, we just did nothing about it and we just let them do it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think that um, just coming on North Melbourne again, you could do a bit of a, um, a simile, I suppose, in that North Melbourne are skirmishes and that's what they're good at. But um, if you want them to, I suppose, win finals, win premierships, I just don't think they have the build for it because I think they're really good at small battles, but I don't know that they've got the team and the uh, game plan for a big picture thing. So, you know, in a lot of ways, I mean, people are going to say North Melbourne might make top four and, hey, they might, but they probably won't. Um, I think it's hard to play like that every week and I think that um, but I think they'll always put in a good contest around the ball and I think that we should have expected that in a lot of ways Um, that's what North Melbourne do so I don't know I don't know if there's something we could have done different at selections I don't know if there's something we could have done different in preparation but um, yeah on the day obviously we're just exposed and uh, I'm not sure we necessarily have the personnel that we need that are fit at the moment Mm. are we being a bit yeah keep going you go mate you go I was just going to say, are we being a little bit critical? Because I thought Mumphrey's going off was a real game changer for oh, us. Yeah. Well, that's basically what I wanted to say was I want to clarify what I mean by our attitude, and that's not that I didn't think we put in 100%. I thought we we left absolutely everything on the park yesterday and were just beaten by a, a better and, and probably fitter team on the day. Yep. I thought we, we absolutely gave everything we got. I just think we were a little bit leery at times, especially in the first half when we sort of break away to a bit of a lead. We just started trying to sort of be a bit too cute with the ball um, and I think that really sort of worked against us at, at crucial times of the game. I think we were just lost, you know. Mm. Um, we saw that lots of times under Primus where the players, you know, you, you'd know they were trying their absolute guts out but they were getting nowhere because they didn't have any system, they didn't have any reliable structures, they didn't have any set plays that were coming off. And that's exactly what we saw yesterday. You know, I like Inkley. He's a good guy and he speaks a good uh, speech. But, um, you know, we've got, to get the, we've got to get those set players. And I was hoping Phil Walsh might have had a few contributions in that area. I, I really hope that um, there's something that's coming on and just maybe it didn't work on the weekend. I don't know. Mm. And definitely I think uh, Monfrey's going off certainly helped, uh, helped, certainly hurt us, mm. especially with Wingard going off injured sort of five minutes after that as well. Yeah. It really sort of 
took a big sort of chunk of our sort of forward run out. And, you know, both of those guys can chop out in the midfield as well. Um, mm. it, it was definitely a turning point in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and Shields then uh, injuring his uh, foot as well. So there was three, uh, three forwards uh, that was sort of gone or, you know, sort of uh, disabled to a degree. Mm. And, then, uh, and then that required Brad Ebert to go more to a half-forward role um, over his uh, full-time midfield role, which I think we lost his running, gut-running ability from there too. Yeah. Something I want to talk about is our quality of clearances because it seems that in the three games that we've had so far, and certainly in the pre-season as well, the opposition have been able to take away some really exciting, exhilarating clearances from the stoppages in that they run away with the ball and, and get it in deep into the forward line. And I don't think we've done that once this year. It just seems that whenever we get a clearance, we want to handball it sort of backwards and sort of have three and three or four handballs. And then sort of, it seems like the coaching staff have tried to get them to make a, a better decision with the ball so they can think about it clearer in space and then sort of deliver it forward. But sometimes you just want that really deep forward clearance. Yeah, look, I mean, there's not a lot of times that you see um, genuinely young players involved in that sort of play, and I guess that's one of the things we have to remember, you know. Um, when we talk about Port Adelaide at their best with set players, it was because they were senior players that were at least, you know, 23, 24, being led by uh, senior players even older that uh, knew a few things. So I think mm. I think you're right. I think we are trying to learn that, but I think that uh, also maybe there's confusion about who should be going for it and who should be receiving it, um, you know, in other teams, your secondary, sorry, your defensive midfielders are, are certainly among the extractors, and I'm not so sure that we are so good at that. Um, and uh, yeah, look, I'm not having a go at Cassisi uh, and Corns here, but I mean, they just they were really great back in the day, but I'm just not sure. Are they past it? Is that the question we have to ask at this point? Um, they're certainly fit enough, and that's great, but um, we really need people in there just barreling out the ball in exactly the right spot, and I just don't know that they're going to lead the way with that. Mm. And maybe we need to move forward and try some different things. I think mm. it's uh, I think it's getting close. Um, mm. I think I think Kane's been uh, pretty serviceable this year, and, and so is Dom. But uh, I guess we do need to move forward at some stage. And I'd probably assume that this would probably be Dom's last year. And we still and everyone's forgetting. You know, we seem everyone seems to be bringing up that we've got the third youngest list in the league. And yeah. what's what's going to happen when you've got the third youngest list in the league? You're going to have moments of inconsistency. It's just inevitable. It's going to happen. And and I thought, you know, we've been driven by our young players uh, last year and so far this year. Our young players have been fantastic. And I thought uh, uh, a lot of our young players, uh, Ollie Wines exempt, um, were probably a little bit off yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, they seemed, I don't know if they were a bit overawed or something. They just, they didn't really pick up the, the tempo of the game. And, and that was probably maybe the difference between us uh, winning and losing yesterday. And, you know, but again, that's going to happen with your young players. <laughs> I think we're underrating Don's game yesterday a little bit, to be honest. Aww. I thought uh, he was really good. And we'll talk about that he's not really getting the ball out. But he, he was our second highest clearance winner yesterday. Yeah, but what, there's a difference between winning the clearance and getting the ball to somewhere useful, though. I guess that's that's the point I'm trying to make there. Is I think he was really good at getting the ball, and I think he was good at getting it out a bit. But uh, as far as actually setting something up, I just don't think he's doing that anymore. And you, at a, it, get, it comes a time where you do need to, to start looking forward, really, and you just got to move on. 
Well, I mean, if not this year, we've certainly got a situation where potentially over the off-season we could have Impey and Jonas come in for those two roles uh, and then just develop more people in the back lines, you know. Um, that could be a, a really good option um, if they can get their fitness up. So, Well, the question yeah. needs to be that if Andrew Moore was fit, would Cassisi be playing? Probably not. You'd, you'd hope not, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to... <laughs> Cassisi, we really need Andrew Moore pushing him out of the side. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I thought um, I thought we held their tall forwards pretty well oh, yesterday. We yeah. I, I think that was a positive. Uh, yeah. You know, for the, for all their run and carry through the centre, we uh, we were able to I thought negate all three of their forwards. And I mean, we were a bit lucky that Curry couldn't take a mark to save his life. I wonder, that's one of the things that was really kind of annoying me um, following the forum during the game is hearing, you know, people complaining about the defence. And I don't think it was the defence that uh, let us down on this occasion at all. When key forwards are marking on the lead and there's no one to cut them off, that's that's generally not a problem for the fullback. That's generally down to a failure in the half-back line and therefore the midfield as well. Um, I think that, that our midfield was not great going forward or back. I think that's obviously where we lost it. But uh, as far as stopping the tall forwards, I think we did a really great job. I was really happy with that. Um, oh, it's just fantastic. that we couldn't beat the momentum. We just couldn't beat the momentum that was coming out of midfield all the time. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they kicked one goal between them. Uh, yeah. Black Curry and, uh, and Petrie. You can't ask for better than that, really. I don't know. Petrie's no. been real Petrie pain in the past. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's, <laughs> he's killed us a lot of times. As I said in the preview, you know, he's kicked 12 goals in the last three games against Port Adelaide. And we kept mm. him to, a, to one kick or something like that. I mean, we, we just killed him. And Curry yeah. as well had no influence. Black uh, Black kicked a goal and was all right, I guess, but uh, it certainly wasn't their key forwards that won them the game. No. No. And, I mean, that was with Jonas and Homsch being fractionally off yesterday as well. So Fractionally? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I'm trying to be nice. Well, their, their lack of awareness uh, really cost us, I thought. I don't know what Jonas was doing yesterday. It just seemed like he just wanted to decapitate Lindsay Thomas about eight <laughs> times. I mean, you can't blame him for that, though. I but, can't blame uh, him, but it did, it did cost us <laughs> a, a fairly crucial times uh, throughout the game. Yeah, I think I, every backman's going to have a day like that, thing. though. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, one he's person... been great this year, but yeah, that was, uh, that was probably the worst game I've seen him play at AFL level. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, one person I was really happy that with was um, Trengove. For the number of times he was on that last line of defence, just when the ball was going to bounce through or do something really irritating like that, and be one of those goals that would just have me break something. Um, it was really good to see Trangove getting that real defensive nous, and uh, he's coming along very nicely, I think. He's a star. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely I, I was I was excited when we recruited him. I thought he was going to be great, even with his uh, suspect knee, and he's he's coming on fantastically well. We're, we're very lucky, and he seems to be a, a great clubman as well, so hopefully he's with us for the, the long haul. Yeah, all Australian this year, I hope. <laughs> That would be great. Well, he'd definitely be, be around the roundabouts at this early stage, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, he hasn't I mean, been beaten yet, and he really controls the play across halfback. Yeah, I don't think probably, we should. That probably, won't help him, but that probably won't help him because of the fact that he's a natural defender, and I suppose that mostly they like these KPPs that are usually sort of midfielders, and I don't think you could really say Trengove was one of those. He's just a genuine defender at this point. Yeah. Mm. Mm. But I thought Alec Paddy was fantastic yesterday as well. He was. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They've been yeah, they've so really that... been faultless all year so far, our key defenders. Mm. That group of four, you know, they've they've barely been beaten at all. Yep. Do you think we uh, missed a trick? You know, did Cunnington sort of uh, 
expose us a little bit? Should we have uh, done something with him yesterday? I found him very noticeable as a player. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that any time you're getting beaten like that, there's always going to be someone that really stands up. Um, take, for example, Ben Jacobs in that last couple of minutes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think he's just a symptom. I don't think he was... Yeah. And I'll let you say no. I think Cunnington was more a symptom than a cause. Um, I think it's just he happened to be the one that uh, was on the good end of it all. I'm not sure that he was exceptionally good compared to anyone else in that north side. Uh, I just I think, think that... he was probably he'd get the uh, the two Brownlow votes I reckon behind Del Santo. Yeah, yeah, maybe. He was pretty strong, but what did were you guys happy with uh, Matty Broadbent and Robbie Gray? No, not more, not Broadbent. I still I. Broadbent, I think he can do some things really well, but I think there's whole periods of games where I just don't see him do anything. I, I don't know. It's hard. It's it's a hard one. I haven't made a call on Matty yet, but I just sort of wonder. And in these games, when you can see the midfields getting smashed, you sort of have to look at everyone there and go, well, okay. I can see what these guys are doing, but I just wasn't really sure what Broadbent was doing most of the game. Um, I can't say he really impacted all that heavily, from my opinion. Well, I was just trying to say that, yeah, you know, I think, I mean, we didn't lose because Jasper obviously started as a sub, but he's a lot more important to our defensive running uh, than what people give credit for. And, uh, you know, I thought we were a little bit exposed there. I don't think our defensive running was a problem yesterday. I really liked uh, Pittard's game as the sub. I thought he did all, all right. Uh, I just think he was put in the wrong positions, really. I thought mm. he should have been up on a wing and, and trying to create the play a bit more. Uh, but he was sort of stuck a little bit sort of deeper than I would have hoped for. Yeah, um, <laughs> look, uh, Pittard, I think that he's another one of these guys that you sort of hope he'll get experience and get better, and I guess that might happen, and I guess that uh, wherever you play him, you hope he's going to do something, but I just, I saw him on the bench and a couple of times, and this is going to be a really unfair judgment, so don't take it too seriously, but um, I saw him on the bench a couple of times and I thought, oh, gee, I would like it if he was paying a lot more attention to the game than that, because I'm just... With, with Pittard particularly, you think he's an intellectual player, and by that I mean he thinks about the game and he tries to work out what's going on. So if he doesn't know exactly what's going on, if he doesn't read the play while it's happening, even if he's not involved, I think he puts himself at a huge disadvantage. And I was a little bit worried, he, I don't know, I might be completely off on the wrong track here, but I think that's something he really needs to be focused on. And um, I kind of think he came into a pretty hot game and uh, was on the back foot because of that more than anything. Did you think he was drifting on the bench? Ah, oh, look, I'm, why wouldn't you? You know, I, I think that's a danger for every sub, but I think that some guys come on and they just instinctively adjust to what's going on, and I don't think Pittard's one of those guys. I think he has to think his way through it. So I would say, particularly for him, I, I would say that he's probably someone that really needs to focus on what's going on and work out what he's going to do to make a difference when he comes on. Let's talk a little bit about Matthew White, because obviously he tagged Harvey pretty heavily yesterday. Um, mm. In the end, Harvey was arguably the match winner in the last quarter. How did we see Whitey's game? I thought he was really, really good in the first half, but, but kind of got away from him a little bit in the second half. Uh, when you're at a good defender for three quarters and you get smashed when it counts, so it's always, it's always hard to say that someone's done a good job, and I think that's the case in Matty White's case for this game. I just He did some really good things, but, you know, letting slip at the wrong times, I don't know. that, that, that For a defender, that you just have to be on all game. Yeah. We spoke, yeah, about, uh, we spoke about Russian roulette a little bit earlier, and I, I thought Whitey tried to do that in the last quarter. You could tell mm. he was sort of sneaking away about five to ten metres from Harvey 
in the hope that we would win the bowl and then Whitey would be able to receive the bowl and run on. And he did that a couple yeah. of times, but when we didn't win the bowl, Harvey generally got it and he was mm. very, very damaging in that last quarter. Well, he always is, isn't he? Mm. Mm. I think he's going to I stay noticed... on their list for bloody 15 years and they'll just wheel him out against us every time because they know he's going to win them the game. I'm worried he'll become their coach. <laughs> Uh, you know, the other thing I brought up last week, and again, we only had uh, 99 interchanges out of a possible 120. Mm-hmm. So it seems to be a uh, specific strategy uh, with the fitness staff. I'd, I'm curious uh, to know, especially when you compare it to Sydney, where, and this is where I think it's a bit of a farce of a rule. Sydney had 126 interchanges on, pardon me, on Saturday, and all they get is a fine. I mean, really, surely there has to be something going on there. But, I mean, focusing on port, I'm, I'm curious why we're not pushing uh, closer to the limit of the, our interchange caps. Especially yesterday when we were visibly sort of running on the spot in the last quarter. I thought we would have been right on the limit. To be fair, who would we have brought in? <laughs> you know, if we're doing all these interchanges, I just don't know that we really would... I mean, if everyone's buggered, then I don't think there's a lot of bonus in rotating them all rapidly. Um, if, if they're just gut running at that point, there's just no point, really, yeah. I would thought. I don't know. I'm not, so a, I'm think, not a fitness expert. <laughs> who do we need to get on for the uh, fitness? We need oh, Power, um, freak, power wasn't freak. it? Yeah. yeah we have, we'll have to get Power Freak on to ask him about the um, um, the theory maybe in the while we're down on the uh, interchange because 20 is a big, big uh, differential to not be taking advantage of. Mm. Well, I think that um, with interchanges, it got to a certain bit of a point where it was a bit like chicken, which is, you know, every time someone else does an interchange, what are you going to do one too? So if, if one of you is just not all that interested in doing it, the other side, maybe they don't bother. I don't know. All right. Well, let's talk about our best players. Uh, Portia, who was your top five? Oh, God, you caught me there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not, not going to do them because my top five are going to be for individual bits of play and they probably don't reflect a performance over a whole match. But I think that Monfries was as good as anyone until he got injured. Yep. Um, I think um, I'm going to say Trengove because he was uh, he did those things that I really like, which is that last line defence, knowing when to go back and just be that, that last line of defence, um, but also just consistently going well throughout the game. Um, Schultz, uh, I don't know what he's made of. He has to be... I don't think he's human because he gets injured and he comes back every time. And uh, I think that for that state, I think he put in a pretty good performance. Um, um, Impey, fantastic endeavour. Um, I know people aren't going to like hearing this, but I, I really remember um, Nathan Cracker's first 10 games and I feel like he's playing with that style of intensity. Uh, unfortunately, Nathan Cracker then wore out and I don't think he was ever the same again. But um, hopefully Impey's got a bit more stamina, a bit more determination than uh, Nathan did. Yeah. Um, and I guess one more. Oh gosh. Um, yeah, no, I can't think of one. Pass. <laughs> That's, <all right. laughs> That's okay. Rick. Eight one percenters to Porsche to uh, Jackson Trengo, and uh, and six to Ali Paddy. So they both were doing the uh, the team things. Uh, well, Porsche's not going to like me. I had uh, Maddie Broadbent up there, uh, yeah. number one. Um, yeah. Ollie Wines, uh, number two. Uh, I'd put the Trangove and uh, Alipati uh, three and four. Uh, I thought they had very serviceable games. And look, I think, I don't know if Robbie was slipping or ducking his head, but I think he, he 
it's got to stop the the head flick, I think, and just concentrate on the footy a little bit. But I think Robbie Gray's start to the season has been fantastic, and he's been giving us a lot of uh, uh, midfield assistance and clearances, and seven clearances uh, yesterday again. Yep, I had Robbie as my best on ground. I thought he had a wonderful inside game and dominated the clearances uh, and really tried to get us going, especially in the last quarter when everyone else was tiring. He sort of stood tall and, and tried to get the ball forward for us. I'm the same with you, Rick. I thought Brody was fantastic. A real great sort of four-quarter effort. Um, yeah, he found plenty of space across half-back and through that centre line. And that massive goalie kick was uh, was superhuman. <laughs> it was bloody mm-hmm. huge. Um, obviously, Bobby just absolutely destroyed Petrie. That was uh, that was a fantastic mm-hmm. effort. Monfries was probably my best on ground up until he, he went off. You know, he, it was definitely his best game of the year so far um, yep. and really provided plenty of spark up forward. And uh, Ollie Wines, just a, another very strong four-quarter effort in the midfield for Ollie. All right, the other game that we're going to talk about is the Port Adelaide versus Nord match, which was round one for the SANFL. It was played on Thursday night. It was on when we were doing the preview podcast. Um, pretty disappointing loss in the end. It was a 19-point loss to Norwood. Uh, we lost 8 goals 9 to 11 goals 10. Mitch Harvey, on his debut, was the only multiple goal scorer. Um, wasn't really what I expected, guys. Why would it not be what you expect? Norwood have won a premiership and we've got a whole bunch of guys that used to play for different clubs all suddenly being a team. I, I, you have to sort of expect that, wouldn't you? They only had eight premiership players out there. So? Oh, I don't know. I expected a bit more. It wasn't the fact that Nord won. It was more our lack of effort through periods of the first half, which was really disappointing. It looked like because of our fantastic SANFL pre-season form, we just expected to go out there and win the game, um, and it just yeah. didn't happen that way. Yeah, maybe. No, I'm with Porsche on that one. It's It's got to be a... You think of uh, Tom Logan and uh, Sammy Cahoon and, and the rest of the boys uh, that have been based at, you know, specific clubs for a while, and, mm. and they're probably... They're, they're second clubs, and now they're... Now they're playing for Port Magpies. It's going to take a, a little bit of time and gel. I mean, for Sam playing against uh, Centrals the other week, it would have been probably pretty bizarre. Um, you know, so, and Paul Stewart, there's the other one I was thinking of. So, um, you know, it is going to take a bit of time. And, and I agree with Porsche, you know. Norwood's obviously a, an experienced outfit and, uh, and we're still uh, learning and getting the ropes together. But I guess from my perspective, I'm really hoping to see some players... Um, at SANFL level, really string up strong performances week in, week out and be pushing uh, pushing for selection. That's the, uh, that's the important part for us here. And uh, unfortunately, we don't seem to get, be getting too many consistent uh, performances there. Yeah, and there's one other thing I'd also contribute to what's going to make it a bit of a difficult factor is that we're sort of glossing over it because we're saying, oh, yeah, Magpies in the SANFL, but there's still a split, you know, and still, that's still got to be healed. You've still got, you know, Magpies-only players and you've got power players suddenly in the same side when, you know, last year it got actually kind of nasty between them, I think, at one point. Was it Steve Summerton saying nasty things about the idea of Port being the reserve side and history of the Magpies and all that sort of thing? So mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's still a lot of wounds that got to be healed over, even though we can all sort of, you know, play happy families and say, ah, oh, yes, isn't it good to have the prison bars for the reserves, which is true. It is nice, but there's still a lot of... A lot of work that's got to go on there, just culturally, you know, um, reintegrating the Ethelton team, I guess. Mm. 
Yeah, I still think we went out there with a, a bit of a disappointing attitude. It certainly wasn't the uh, the quantity of bowl that we got. I mean, we won the disposals, we won the tackles, we won the hitouts, we won the clearances. Um, but it was just the quality of bowl. You know, we just turned it over far too easily. We couldn't get it mm. forward. We, we really lacked outside run. Um, we were sort of lacking targets up forward, which is a bit of a concern. And it's going to be a concern all year. Um, our midfield was all right. It was pretty good. Um but our defence made a number of pretty poor blunders uh, throughout the game. So what's happened to uh, Kane Mitchell? You know, he would—he was one that I thought would really be uh, stepping up and pulling big numbers with his fitness base at SANFL level. I think he reckoned he might have earned a spot last year and he might not be too happy about the fact that he's still on the rookie list. Mm, I'm not sure. He just played a, a very inside game on the weekend. He, he really lacked that outside run. He was one that I was sort of talking about um, in that regard. But his inside work was very good. I'll give him that on the weekend. Mm. Aaron Young posted some good numbers. I saw some some of the board members were a bit critical of his disposal, but I didn't really see too much of the game. But numbers alone, 28 disposals, 13 clearances... Uh, he must have really uh, dominated around the contest. He was clearly best on ground for us. Um, his disposal probably let him down on three or four occasions, but when you're getting that many, when you're getting that many kicks and you're winning the bowl in the clinches like that, I'm not sure you can be overly critical because really no one else was really doing that sort of thing for the club on Thursday night. Mm. Is it enough mm. to get him a game next week at AFL level? Well, surely he'd be, he'd be replacing Monfries. He'd have to be a Monty. Oh, I just hope it's not Cam Hitchcock. Oh, I would <laughs> highly doubt it would be Hitchcock. Oh, I don't know. It'd be very... Emergently last week, wasn't he? Mm. It'd be entertaining for the, for the board, though. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I mean, honestly, if there was a player in the current power side that you would consider replacing with Hitchcock, it probably would be Monfries, because Hitchcock, you know, he's not... He's not a coming forward. He's just not. He's a fun, he's a straight line runner, and I guess that that's sort of what Munfries does as well. So, you know, if you're doing like for like, he actually probably is not the terrible fit. But I just, oh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, put it this way: if I said to you, um, I guarantee you that Hitchcock will play four quarters and not get injured, would you be a little bit more enthusiastic? Um, no, not probably not, because the main issue for me is that he has deficiencies in speed compared to the very best. He has deficiencies in height and he has deficiencies in strength, which means he can always be exposed by a huge number of AFL players. Um, when he has the ball on his terms, he's extremely good. There's no doubt about that, but he's got to get it. He's got to get it on his terms. And if he'd been playing last week against North Melbourne, um, oh, I think he would have been just as lost as any for everyone else, really, probably more so. Does Paul Stewart come in for Monfries? Mm. He's the other one we've got to talk about. What's he going to do? I, you know, Monfries is a, is a pretty big hole for us. I'm just not sure what Paul Stewart would specifically add that we'd want to bring him in at this point. I guess he's sort of that... Uh, he's pretty quick. He takes a grab. He can kick a goal. He's reasonably similar to Monfries in that regard. Ooh. Gee, that's a long <laughs> bow, but okay. <laughs> well, he's probably more like-for-like like than Hitchcock, or Young, uh, for that matter. Look... At this point, I'd almost be tempted, because we're going up against Brisbane, I think we'd almost be tempted to blood someone, wouldn't we? Like someone like Ben Newton, um, I don't know. Give, uh, get a bit of that enthusiasm into the side, rather than sort of hope that a, a guy that's been on the list for, what, six, seven years is going to turn around? Hmm. I don't what, know. What, 
Will they play Newton after his concussion, though? They might give him a, a game back at the SNFL level first. Yeah, maybe. Who knows how bad it would, is, though? Would we rush... Um, would we bring back Andrew Moore pretty quickly? If he's ready, if he's ready, he would. But if he's still a bit off, I mean, he plays a physical game, so you'd want to be pretty careful. Mm. I'd probably prefer Moore to play one game at SNFL level than bring him in, to be honest. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a fair call, too, but... I guess when you look at the list of uh, performers at SANFL level, then really it's what, Aaron Young, Tom Cleary probably deserves uh, another opportunity if there's uh, if there's a spot there for him. Um, you know, is it one of those things where uh, does Butcher keep his place in the side for this week's game? Oh, I think or, he pretty much has to because yeah. we don't have options. Yeah. <laughs> Look, Mitch Harvey had yeah. a pretty good debut. I've got to say, he had 11 touches, five marks, and two goals, which is Pretty good effort for your, for your debut SANFL game. But uh, mm. I don't think he's anywhere near AFL level yet. I was going to say, is, where's Mission? Because uh, we could ask him, is he fit enough to uh, run out an AFL game? No. Mm. Well, then there's no point picking him. If he's not fit enough, he'll just get exposed, won't he? Mm. Yeah, well, that was the thing over his head when he was recruited. It wasn't his ability, it was his fitness, which... You know, I think there's a great opportunity for him to turn that round, but that's going to take a couple of years at least, do you think? Just quickly, uh, before we finish the podcast, what do we expect the crowd to be on Saturday? Last year, you would think, you know, the forecasters for rain were playing Brisbane, a low-drawing club, on a Saturday afternoon, you would think, you know, we'd be pushing sort of 20,000. I'm still mm. thinking sort of 26 to 28, which is a big increase on what I would have expected last year, probably below what a lot of other people are expecting. Yeah, look, this is always one of my concerns with Adelaide Oval when they put out the design, which is the actual rain cover of the stands. I'm really not convinced it's going to be all that great. And I think people had a really good chance to see it last uh, on the showdown, and I don't know, maybe they... We'll be a little bit hesitant. It's one thing when it's pissing down, you can quickly run out to your car and drive home, but it's another thing when you have to go catch a train and do all sorts of other things to get home and walk across the bridge and God knows what else. So, Yeah, yeah I don't know. East, I'm worried. The eastern stand's going to be lovely with uh, 25 kilometre an hour southwesterly winds uh, <laughs> spray, spraying three quarters of that stand uh, on a 22-degree day. It, uh, it should be very pleasurable, I'm sure, yeah. for the for us punters, uh, well, I'm not sitting there, so uh, <laughs> that's right. Me, me oh, and you're fine then. <laughs> me, me and Mackers will be behind the uh, behind the goal the, this week. Mm. Okay. Um, there is one thing I'd like to say about this game, which is um, well, a couple of things. The first one is that if we were going to go 3-1 at the end of this year, then I'm kind of glad that North Melbourne is the one we lost because I think that uh, um, beating Carlton was important as the first game. Winning the showdown, obviously important. And quite honestly... Uh, it's the anniversary of uh, Brisbane Lions, and I want us to beat the absolute living snot out of them so that they remember, and all of those guys that whinge like Voss and Scott and Scott and Scott and Scott and Scott and Scott, they all just have these little twinges where they realise, uh, you know, Port Adelaide is back and uh, we are pummeling them again. So I really want us to win this week enormously. It's hugely important to me. I don't know why, but, uh, yeah, I'm really hoping we go out there and absolutely annihilate them. That'd be great. I would love that. <laughs> mm, be fantastic. Well, I picked 43, but now that the, weather, the weather's declined on us, I'm going to go 33. Mm, fair enough. Yeah, um, I'm optimistic. I'm going to go 72. <laughs> what? 
thousand people. We can't even fit that many in there, can we? <laughs> I thought we were doing margins. Sorry. I oh, know. I'm talking crowd. I never actually. Oh, crowd! No, nah, crowd would be awful. I would have thought. Mm. Saturday sure afternoon. Can't, can't be that bad. Well, we had forty. Well, we mm. had about forty-four thousand, uh, forty-three thousand at the showdown. So. You know, if we beat North Melbourne, I would have, I would have been hoping uh, we would have been pushing forty. So on a well, Saturday afternoon against Brisbane in the wet. Yeah. What else is there to do on a Saturday? Oh, I don't know. I, I think people are sort of over exaggerating <laughs> the amount of maybe season ticket holders we got. I don't know. I, yeah. I would be incredibly pleasantly surprised if we get forty thousand there on Saturday. If we get that, well, then Adelaide Oval is the absolute biggest saviour any sporting club in the world has ever had. Because I'm, well, I'm, not, I'm not even expecting 30. You no. can't base it just on our season ticket holders because part of Adelaide Oval was that we were going to bring in a lot of neutrals to the ground. Yeah, but and, who's going to uh, go in the wet against Brisbane on a Saturday afternoon? The Saturday afternoon okay. is the key. If this was a Saturday night game, I would say probably oh, yeah. 35 or 36. But mm. because it's a Saturday afternoon, I'm, I'm still thinking sort of 26, 28. There's another I mean, factor. But really, not... we're, we're, you know, who knows? Who really knows? There's nothing to really base it on yet. Mm. I, think there's another factor that, I think there's another factor that didn't really apply at Football Park, which is that, um, okay, let's say that the Adelaide Oval thing is that on an afternoon game, you go in early, you have a bit of lunch, and then you walk down to the ground. Well, I don't know about you, but if I've just had a nice lunch and maybe a beer or something like that, and I think, oh, I could walk out through that rain and go to the footy, or I could just stay here and watch it on TV, I'm going to be pretty inclined to stay here and watch it on TV, I, even if I've got a ticket for the game. I don't know. I think that's going to be a new factor when it's raining. Um, we used to have the stay away factor where if it was raining two hours before the game, people wouldn't show up. But now I think that we might, we've got to deal with that right up to the bounce, quite honestly. Um, yeah. It's a different but- thing. This isn't 2011 and 2012. The boys are, the boys are playing very attractive football uh, most of the time now, and uh, you'd believe that most people would uh, would still go down and want to watch that live, uh, especially based in the city compared to uh, um, Footy Park. So I'd be a little bit optimistic. Uh, I think I think you guys might. Last I'd like to we believe that, Rick. We were what five one when we came up against Richmond on a Saturday afternoon at Footy Park in the wet, and we got yeah. something like twenty thousand five hundred. So you, mm. you just don't know. And, and yes, our season tickets are significantly higher. Yes, there's probably going to be more neutrals that'll be attracted, but you just don't know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, if it was a perfect day and we won against North Melbourne. I reckon we might have had a smoky. I think a lot of neutrals might have uh, come down to the ground. I think the rain element, you're right, uh, might affect the crowd attendance. But, I mean, so you guys would be happy then if we got 33,000 at the game? I wouldn't be ecstatic, but, yeah, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. I think if we got 28, 30, in a way, it's a little bit deflating. Being, mm. that, that's our follow-up figure after having maximum capacity 50,000 sell-out yeah. game. And maybe this is a bit of a poor reflection on the AFL fixturing, uh, like with the psychology here of, uh, of attendances and just the influence of a game. Um, you know, maybe this game should have been a, another high-drawing team in a generous time slot just to keep that uh, momentum of crowds going to the game um, you know, because I can see what will happen. If we get 28,000, 
Um, you know, come Monday, especially when the Crows lose to St Kilda, what's it <laughs> going to be about? Oh, Port Adelaide's got no supporters. Where are they? They're all fair weather. They can't even get 40,000 to the game. Well, you know, the only 28,000 is coming. What a disgrace. You know, they didn't even need Adelaide Oval, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, yeah. Well, I mean, that's the issue. Yeah, obviously. I mean, if they're going to crap on about Port no matter what we do, so I wouldn't worry about that. But I think that the idea... If you're looking to attract those neutrals that you're talking about, Rick, then I think that the idea that you say, um, you know, Adelaide Oval, what was the point of Adelaide Oval, you know, crowds aren't any better, blah, 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 that's going to hurt a lot more than having a crack at Port Adelaide because that just, that's water off a duck's back. That doesn't really matter at all. But damaging the Oval at this point, you know, we, we are tied to that now. We want that Oval to be the, have the best reputation in Australia and we need to talk it up at every opportunity because the more we do that, the more people are going to want to come. They want to travel from interstate and go to Adelaide Oval because it looks fantastic and the crowds are always on. Um, you know, we've got a huge commitment to Adelaide Oval as a brand and, uh, yeah, that, that's much more danger than, you know, having a crack at Port Adelaide from Crows fans. That, that's nothing at all. That's it. Everyone get out there. Bring a friend. I'll take it we're near the end here. There was just something I wanted to... Uh uh, quickly bring up, and I just wanted to wish the uh, the 36ers and uh, good luck in the grand final. I think we've got to go back to 2002, and uh, hopefully uh, they can represent Adelaide well. It's always good to see Adelaide do well in the basketball, and it brings back memory of I was at Game Three in 1986 at Apollo Stadium, and uh, you know my old man as a 13 year old dropped me off at four o'clock in the morning and said, you can queue up if you want tickets. So I had to queue up from 4 to bloody 10 o'clock uh, by myself, <laughs> uh, waiting at the uh, aisle to get tickets. And uh, and then he came and enjoyed the spoils of watching the game, though, the bugger. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was with Pierce and Ally, uh, McKay, um, Davis, our green. It was a fantastic uh, time back then. And, uh, yeah, we've always been strong at basketball, so it's good to, uh, to see we're back there for, for this season anyway. Good stuff. All right, well, Portia, thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Great to talk to you again. Thanks for having me. Rick, as always, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and Pepper Pig, thanks for coming on. No drama, it's a pleasure oh, as always. God. Go the power. Can't Go pour it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, I love it. That's great. My, um... This sounds like Max Bashir. Look at Sean Bergon, who delivers beautifully on the chest of Thurston. Pick it with the overlap. 